0: Zudu Za Zudadu Wow <laughs> Where were you at the start of the 20th century? If you can't answer that, you might be in the wrong place. Everything beyond this point is for the undead, the restless, and those who simply refuse to die. Welcome to Brother Ghoulish's tomb, where it's all about the brains. And this isn't just a horror podcast, it's a celebration of horror, and I'm the master of ceremony, your host, Brother Ghoulish. Leave innocence and virtue behind, because here, there are no victims, only sacrifices necessary for the genre's best interest. Let's get scared together, because in that collective fear, We learn so much more about ourselves, and that's part of the fun. But in all seriousness, what was your introduction to horror? I remember mine. I had to sneak to watch shows like The Outer Limits, The Twilight Zone, and Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction, behind my parents' backs. My older brother also showed me and my younger brother movies behind their backs as well. I remember watching Ravenous, Misery. Thinner. People under the stairs, Tales from the Hood, and countless others. And then, finally on my own, I found Scream. From the moment Drew Barrymore picked up the phone and unknowingly flirted with death, I was hooked. All of it was so scary but good, and I still can't get enough. I absolutely love horror, so much so I can fall asleep with Hellraiser on and be simply fine, however I do draw the line at Human Centipede. I mean that's nasty. You might have heard it said that there's nothing scarier than reality and I whole blackheartedly believe that, so yes. I can handle the tension of a final girl narrowly surviving the killer's wrath with wit alone, so yes. I rejoice as the homophobic, sexist, racist jock is ripped apart despite all of his strength. And let's be honest, who hates a bad bitch in a cashmere sweater reading everyone else to filth? So thank you for listening. Please tune back in sometimes as we talk about horror movies, read letters from Beyond the Dead, and enjoy horror shorts together. I'll be waiting. (laughs)
1: welcome witches and ghouls we are pleased to say that we are part of the morbidly beautiful podcast network and family
2: morbidly beautiful is your macabre home away from home with horror news reviews and editorials and more morbidly beautiful supports everyone in the horror community from special effects
1: artists indie filmmakers writers women lgbtq folks and so much more and we are so happy to be part of the spooky team please go to morbidlybeautiful.com to find out more and now on with the show
2: I spit on your podcast a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the spinsters of horror this is a time once a month where i put down my bloody knitting needles and kelly steps away from the tv to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror medias with thoughtful analysis research and passion in this episode we are biting back into vampires
1: for the second time for the main podcast but this time we are highlighting the underappreciated films vamp and death by temptation for black history month so pick your poison and listen on if you dare (laughs)
2: Why did we choose these films? Originally, when we first were thinking about our plan for uh, February and Black History Month, and we had a bunch of ideas going around... One of the ideas that came on was talking about black vampires, because I know both you and I both enjoy the films Blackula and Scream, Blackula, Scream. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to... I was really personally interested in wanting to explore two different films that I know have vampires in them, um, particularly black vampires or vampire-like creatures such as Vamp and Death by Temptation. And so I was really curious. I wanted to see these films and see that representation in these films. And boy, was I blown away (laughs) by the stark contrast of these films. Yeah and just everything they have to say about horror and black Mm -hmm. history Mm -hmm. together. Absolutely. uh, We initially were going
1: to talk about Eve's Bayou, but to be honest, folks, we didn't think that we were ready or qualified to speak to the Southern Gothic and black experience that is exhibited through that movie. I ended up watching it to kind of see where our research and thoughts and stuff like that would go. And it's a beautiful film, but I just don't think we're ready for this. So we ended up going with something we're a little bit more comfortable with, we're a little bit more familiar with, and of course, that's vampires. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So in our research, it was really fascinating to learn. So in 1819, The Vampire by John Polidori in Britain was released. But over in America, there was this story called The Black Vampire, A Legend of St. Domingo. So America's first vampire in literature was black,
2: folks. And that was absolutely news to me. (laughs) I was also shocked in learning this information as well, too, considering some... Considering how much I know about vampires yes. and vampire literature,, yes. but the vampire literature <laughs> is very white, yes and it's very European. Yes. It's always about the pale European vampire, and there's always the white victims, the white woman in the white nightgown representing innocence and the vampire drinking from her that shows corruption of such innocence. So to be able to see and know that there's literature out there about vampires all over the world and of different cultures and of different races makes it more beautiful and unique. And this story, The
1: Legend of St. Domingo, appears in none of the seminal histories of vampires. Me too. I'm also a massive vampire fan, have le- read a lot about vampires since I was a teenager, watch all of the movies. Like, we're both massive vampire fans. So that was this was incredible to learn. And there is, you can find one online edition, maybe we can find that and put that in our Spinsters library or the show notes, But generally, the story explores mixed marriages. It's about a former slave and a one-time mistress, white woman. And the vampires, like slaves in this story, are forced to coexist on the fringes of society. And then, so of course, are rebelling against their lot in life. So that's very basically like what the story represents and what the story is about. But yeah, there's very few black vampires. Definitely in film. I'm not up on a lot of the literature and horror literature and stuff like that. I don't read as much as I used to, but I love movies. I devour movies like mad, mm-hmm. especially vampire movies. So, why are there so few Black vampires. Like, there's even a list. Like, we could just list them because it's so short. You know, we've got Blackula, we've got Ganja and Hess, Vamp Blade. Death by Temptation, Vampire in Brooklyn, Queen of the Damned. Like, and there's some representation in shows like True Blood, which I didn't really watch, but I know that comes up a lot in certain lists of Black vampires. But it's very, very little. And that's really too, too bad. And there was this really great quote. Jesse had just brought this up about how white and European vampires are. So quote from one of our bits of research, the whole vampire mythos is so commonly accepted as white and European that when people of color explore the legends, which aren't at all exclusive to Europe, it's seen as quote, turning the vampire genre on its head. That is because, as with most things, white supremacy has worked to suppress voices of color until there is only one white, quote, standard version of any given narrative. That's why vampires so white, folks, besides their pale skin being dead.
2: <laughs> despite, yeah, despite being dead and all their pale skin. And so interesting when we talk about and learning about the black vampire and the legend of St. Dominico is, is that it was actually published 14 years before Lydia Child's publishing of an appeal in favor of that class of Americans called Africans, which was widely considered the first anti-slavery book. This little piece of vampire literature is talking about ideas of racism cultivated by slavery and the struggles against it and the connecting of racial oppression to a vampiric society. And it's interesting is, yeah, we don't often see a lot of black vampires in literature except for uh, Octavia Butler's final novel, Fledgling, is a story about a 53-year-old vampire appearing as an 11-year-old child as a result of an experiment to create vampires with darker skin to better handle sun exposure, which was a whole new take on the vampire genre, and people loved it. So it's so interesting where we're just like we're like oh my goodness we have like Black the Blackula he's a black vampire but wait there are always been black vampires there's mm-hmm. always been vampires of other races and nationalities all over the world we're just con- they're constantly filtered out of our media and we're constantly fed the white vampire and like you said is that idea of white supremacy so should we get into our first film yeah definitely let's talk about vamp <laughs>
1: Did you ever have one of those nights?
3: Hey, where are we going? Ah, doesn't matter. What counts is that you're my buddy. <laughs> my day didn't start off too well. We be looking for you. Are we
2: chumpy tonight? And then... Or worse. We're here.
3: And then, gentlemen, I give you Katrina. Uh, You're just what I'm looking for. Uh, Why'd you pick on us? It's a mistake. It was a little error there, a little communication error. I'm sorry. Uh oh. <laughs> Let's just. Get out of here. This is not really happening. Hello, baby.
4: God, you look awful. What happened to you?
3: I was nearly hung. I got into a fight with a psychotic albino. I ate a cockroach, my best friend disappeared, and then I'm nearly
1: assassinated by a runaway elevator.
2: Anyone can have an off night.
3: A comedy with bites. And of course, Grace Jones.
2: All right, so what's your story surrounding Vamp, Jess? Honestly, this is a first time watch for me, Ooh. but I've heard a lot about this film. Yeah. I heard a lot of people talking about it and how beautiful Grace Jones look in, looks in it, especially when people talk about vampires and how gorgeous she was. So, this was a first time watch for me for the podcast. Excellent. But, um, so, funny story, I tried
1: watching Vamp as a teenager, but I didn't like it and shut it off halfway through the movie. <laughs>
2: fair enough yeah so
1: (laughs) as a teenager I didn't really care for or appreciate like campy light horror movies Mm. at the time I I also didn't like evil dead 2 I also turned that off as a teenager oh my goodness but now I I love love evil dead 2 I (laughs) love campy movies I love horror (laughs) comedies and now I just really enjoy these movies but so I I guess I would say this is actually really a first time watch for me because I only watched half of it like over 20 years ago so first time watch let's say that technically
2: <laughs> officially. So do you officially. Officially, officially, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, do you have any likes? For now that you sat down and watched it fully as an adult, did you have anything you liked about it? Yes,
1: yes. Many things. And like you, I've heard about this movie for, oh yeah, over 20 years. This movie (laughs) comes up on all the lists about vampire films, and I just still haven't seen it, still hadn't seen it for no particular reason. But Grace Jones is absolutely iconic in this, and I'm so sad it's taken me this long to appreciate uh, her Katrina role in this movie. So I'm really glad we... ended up going with uh, vampires for this i love the very 80s garish lighting in this movie the pink Mm, and green we've got our foggy alleys and foggy streets um it's very 80s it's full of 80s tropes full of 80s music like it just is i i'm a massive fan of 80s horror movies so it just rings very strongly for me with with all of that it's very fun also, Ron Grady from Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is in it. And why do I... I just recognize everyone. Yeah. Ron Grady, He's that's just his who he was. He's Jesse's best friend in Nightmare on Elm yes, Street 2. Okay. He plays AJ. I'm
2: Okay, I yep. was sitting there watching the movie, be like, "Why does this guy sound familiar?" I don't know. I don't like his character, so I'm not bothering to yeah. look him up. So, but then I was like, "But it kept bothering me." Now, yep. of course, that now that you said that, I was like, "I can see him right away." Yeah. Yep. <laughs> how about you? What
1: What do you like about this movie?
2: I love Grace Jones. I think she is gorgeous in this film. I am unfortunately unhappy with how she had no speaking role in this movie, and I honestly am not a fan of Vamp after I finished it. Oh. I, And only because like I do like '80s horror movies, but there are just elements of this film that just hit too hard on tropes that I was mm-hmm, like, mm, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, that's fair. okay, that's uh, I'm not liking this. And yeah, um, but I did like the music. The mm-hmm. music was fun. Yeah. Uh, actually, sorry, I do I like the vampire gangs. I love that there was a gangs of vampires in this urban community and stuff like that. And yeah, well, some of them didn't make any sense, like there's a vampire child, yeah, <laughs> which yeah, always kills me because I'm like, where's your little girl? And she eats the guy. Yeah. And I was like, yes. Um, <laughs> Um, but I absolutely loved Grace Jones like she's just gorgeous and I just really wish she had more than just a non-speaking role yeah
1: yeah yeah so you're hitting on something a bunch of things that i dislike about this movie the men um but i do believe that that's intentional and definitely a product of its time it's super 80s horror tropey like i said super product of its time the horned dog white men our token asian character with the actor getty watanabe who was in Mm -hmm. a lot of 80s movies as that token asian character and so that's really unfortunate and yes the severely underutilized power of Grace Jones in this I mean I kind of I like and dislike the fact that she doesn't speak because her actions and her like physical acting and her facial expressions and all of those things are quite powerful. So I almost feel like there's aspects of it that I don't think she needs to say anything, but absolutely I wish there was more of her. There was more development of her character. And so, I mean, this was a movie created by white people. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of this kind of makes sense in a way that, That's how she was treated as a character because we unfortunately learn a lot more about the white waitress at the club. She's very cute and very likable. I do like her. She's very sweet, but we know way more. We follow her story way more than we do with Grace Jones, unfortunately. And I would like the opposite because I love monstrous women as well. So... I wish there was more.
2: (laughs) Exactly. And you can tell that she, Katrina herself, is a powerful vampire. She has, you know, she runs a whole vampire coven and it looks in a very, in a way, very lucrative business. Absolutely. Um, And she knows how to protect herself. So it is definitely a film that is, and something that I learned this month in our research and all of our materials is that Vamp is definitely a film that is representative of blacks in horror and not. Black horror. Yes. Because we are seeing Grace Jones play a character that is sexualized by white men. Yep. Very predominantly throughout this film. Yeah. And that's one of the things that yeah, I I I very much dislike because of the constant way these two white guys walk into this strip club, like they own it. Yeah. These suburban, you know, rich boys and yeah. I, I would get frustrated with their characters yeah. a lot with a lot of their decisions and one of the things they're doing. I'm like I kinda can think I'm like, You guys showed up here and got involved in their business. You had no right to be here whatsoever. Yeah. No one was a threat to you. But yep. yeah. That was more it was just it was really full of stereotypes that made me sad at the end when I finished mm. it. But I did love the ending. I yeah. But not like not like not the ending of like, oh, we're a happy family now. Oh, we're yes, walking away yes. We'll talk about oh, that. No, ending. When <laughs> when when the yeah, yeah, the ending with Grace Jones. <laughs> yes, I,
1: I agree. So not your favorite. And that's fair. Um, no. I definitely had a lot of fun with it. I did enjoy this. I was glad to have been able to watch it for the podcast. So.
2: I'm glad that I got to watch yeah. it too. So now I feel yeah. more informed yeah. as a as a viewer and as a as a, in someone in the horror genre. And somebody talks yes. a little horror now. I feel Me informed too. after Me watching too. it.
1: Hey, call the police! These people—they're all vampires. They bark at the that doesn't make them bad people. So ch- chatting about you know the whole the whole concept of blacks always die first. I'm doing quotations. You can't see this. I'm sorry, but let's do a brief timeline of people of color in film. And, you know, obviously with a focus on horror movies, because that's why we're all here, because we love horror movies. But starting in the earliest 20th century, we had white actors in blackface. Yikes. 1930s. Yes, and then we jump into the 30s and 40s. People of color are shown as savages, primitives. They barely resemble human beings and mainly just there for comedic relief.
2: More yikes. They were shown as like the quiet servant, the tribesman or the voodoo uh, voodoo priest or priestess. They were there as depictions as what white audience would have seen them like. So this is what we're calling blacks in horror. And then we move into the 1940s where we get black directors such as Spencer Williams who come forward with their own... Mm -hmm. films to challenge these narratives from the 1920s and 30s and remind audiences not to believe in stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And so he made uh, the first black black-made horror film was Son of Igni, which stars a black woman as a scientist helping an ape man to thrive. And this film was fundamental in the 1940s because it allowed black creators to show what an actual black middle class was like. People being themselves and treating themselves equally. It's not fiction. This is reality. They're human beings. It's not what yeah. yeah, it's not what white Hollywood was showing us, these quiet servants who are completely loyal to their white masters. Mm-hmm. That's not the case.
1: Mm-hmm. And we start seeing a lot of characters, the, the people of color, their
2: characters that often exist only to
1: support the survival of our white protagonists. They're always a supporting mm-hmm. character, not a main always. character. They barely, you know, they wouldn't have much speaking roles and, and stuff like that. We move into the 60s and 70s, and now, thankfully, we're starting to see black characters as whole living human beings, right? We're seeing black love. Sugar Hill Ganja and Hess Night of the Living Dead they sh- starts showing the black experience again so it's like it ebbs and flows throughout the decades and during that time you know again we also had a lot of uh, black exploitation movies which you know a lot of people of color enjoyed but also there's problematic elements to them but l- enjoyed seeing some form of representation especially with, with our
2: female characters especially especially because like in the 1950s there was a whole decade where there was no black actors on screen yeah. black people literally disappeared because horror movies went more the scientific route and you can't have black scientists, right? So then all of a sudden we get all those creature features who had some very odd, similar black caricatures and were metaphors for blackness. So it was really important in the 1960s and 70s when we were all of a sudden seeing more black people on the screen again and having black protagonists. We're like, oh... Once again, we're acknowledging Black people in our cinema and it's representative of what was happening in the world at the time.
1: 80s, 90s, 2000s, a little bit of fading out again. A little bit of a disappearance, unfortunately. And so 2010s, again, we get a bit, we're in a resurgence era, which is fantastic. And it's kind of one that we are living in as adults. You and I, Jess, we're living in this resurgence with like Get Out and Us and movies
2: like that. Bringing us back. So we bring ourselves from the century. 1970s into the 80s, and Kelly is saying um, we're talking about this trope that black actors always die first, which is not entirely true. They, but they do happen to play a particular role, which is two things that we see: um, black actors being show used to show how tough a monster is. Mm-hmm. So, if yes. like yes. if a black actor is defeated by the yes. monster in yeah. the movie, then it means that that monster is to be feared even more. Yeah. Or they are dying in their complete and other loyalty to the white protagonist. And that un- that loyalty is unwavering. I wanted to bring up this was a couple of fun facts that I that
1: I really enjoyed in his website, uh, blackhorrormovies.com. So, based on a sampling of about 1,000 horror movies containing over 1,500 appearances by black actors and actresses, this site found that their mortality rate to be about 45%. So, about one out of two people of color die in horror movies. You're right, they don't always die first but they do often die and thinking about the highly popular 80s franchise Friday the 13th 16 out of 19 black characters die but still one hell of a lot folks it is one hell of a lot and so many of those characters again are supporting roles not a lot of speaking roles like they the not ever the protagonist and definitely not our
2: final girls. Yeah, they're in the roles of the token sidekicks. They're incidental, right? They don't have wants, they don't have needs, they don't have their own families. All they're concerned about is the white protagonist and making sure that they're taken care of and that they survive till the end of the movie. And that's where you get the idea of the sacrificial Negro. Mm -hmm. They only exist to save the white character and to keep them alive, which is almost returning back to the faithful servant trope, which was what we saw in the 1930s with Birth of a Nation and all the those films that came from that the
1: 80s also really jumped on the the trope of the magical negro where there's a black character with mystical powers and very specific magical insight that will aid our white protagonists and often in the case they are voodoo practitioners token minority which we talked about even earlier um, for for Vamp, the our t- token like Asian character, like just throwing them in as being comedic relief or, you know, Rachel True talks about this a lot in the horror noir documentary because she's been thrown into a lot of those roles. She's not the main character. She's not the protagonist in these movies. She's always the support. She's always the friend. Are you okay? Yeah. How are you doing? A gr- she's so wonderful in a documentary, but that was just it. A lot of tropes, not a lot of humanity. Yeah,
2: and you, you go back and you think about all these films and you're like, oh wait, that is that's true. I'm seeing that there. I'm seeing that there. And you start to go have you kinda of go back and reanalyze why are we why were those roles being put created? Why were the, you know, it's great that there's further representation yeah. that was starting in the eighties, but once again it was still not enough. It was still I feel like the 1980s, it was still stereotypes, and I feel like the 1980s, a lot of when we had black representation in horror films, it was that blacks in horror type of horror film, and that's where we get Vamp. Vamp is an example of that, because with Grace Jones, you know, she's this beautiful queen vampire. But she is seen as a token. She is yeah. seen as exotic, and she's seen as other. And you know, we already get a lot of otherness when you're a vampire. Now combine that with your black, with her black sexuality, her black femininity, and she's con- con- furthered othered because that was a trope that was from the 1930s and uh, 20s, where um, women in the jungle were seen as fantasized and seen as othered and monstrous mm-hmm. and unknowable. Yes, that's another trope: the monstrous black woman, the
1: hypersexualized monstrous black woman. They are monstrous because they. Have had power. Yes, let's talk about Katrina, because she's really the most fascinating and great, wonderful part of the movie Vamp.
0: I'm going to have to kill them both. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. You're not going to punish her? If it were me.
3: Look, if I had some power. All right. Right? If we had just moved the whole operation to Vegas, like I suggested.
0: Thank you. I am Lord to you forever. I will be more careful.
3: <laughs> well, I guess Vegas is out.
1: <laughs> uh. And we also read this really wonderful article called Femme Noir, Dangerous Women of Color in Popular Film and Television. It was amazing. And it goes into definitely Katrina and Vamp, but a variety of other films and other women. But the, this idea of the Femme Noir, our dangerous women, our femme fatales the monstrous feminine? Of course, we're going to talk about that. Of course, we're going to talk about Katrina. These are the violent, predatory women out for destruction. But... Most of the time, in these movies, these monstrous women are white, and then they use racial adjectives or stereotypes from black women. These they're labeled as having primitive emotions, primitive aggressive sexuality, aggressive, um, sorry, assertive sexuality. They're promiscuous and a lot of others other adjectives they are other our femme noir they go into the virgin cannibal kind of dichotomy dragon lady dichotomy and then what we'll, we'll kind of focus down on is the queen bitch dichotomy because that's katrina Right. She's literally called the queen bitch in this movie.
2: Yeah. And this is where we see white women typically in the monstrous way seen as objects. And whereas black women are often depicted as animals. You get a lot of these yeah. animalistic characterizations placed upon Katrina. She is she only like growls and moans. She doesn't speak. She's very yep. animalistic in the way she moves and the way she acts with her um with her vampires among them like she's she's like I will kill you Mm -hmm. if you fuck up I will kill you we literally see that a couple times right too but she is utterly demonized throughout the film and she's like this vamp goddess but like you said the bartender at one point refers to her as the queen bitch and we yep And we all know what what they're referring to. Like, it's very (laughs) animalistic. But then you see that she is, her face is powdered white to evoke a voodoo goddess. And her costume is Mm -hmm. very Egyptian to evoke the presence of a mythic black mother and goddess. So you get this, all this element of this greatness in this woman. But then she's been sized down to more animalistic, primitive nature. Yeah. Like, very basic. Very basic, yeah.
1: And man, if you're from Egyptian times, again, this is why I wish there was so much more of Katrina. Because she is old. She is an old, centuries old, powerful vampire goddess. And she is now, I'm not degrading her status here at the strip club, but everybody else around her is doing the degrading. I was like, she is so much more than this and she could kill you. But she's, you know, this is the vampire district. She runs this whole aspect of town and definitely everybody in this bar so I just feel like that's so sad um and we don't see much of her early, we don't see anything about her early years all we see is I don't, Vlad who I don't know if he's like a minion or a lover but he's like caressing this Egyptian image of mm. her and I was like there's so much more of her that we don't get to see but even in the way that she dances contrasting that to the other uh strip the strippers the the dancers the the exotic dancers at the club very different and that's what also is so striking that her sexuality isn't so not as lurid as like the other dancers are she is like her own woman she's this monstrous female vampire she's sexy in her human performance is what i'm going to call it but then she turns damn ugly and monstrous when she wants to feed <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There is definitely that. And because I feel like, and there's something that really stood out to me when I was watching this movie and combined with this research. So, because she is kind of representative of the Black mother, this goddess, and everything, but there is no place for her in this world. Like you said, this is a Black woman in a horror movie. This isn't a Black mm-hmm. horror per se, right? But for her, there is no place for her in a white patriarchal dominated society ruled by a God of light, which you literally see at the end of this movie when Keith destroys a portion of the ceiling so a beam of light can come through. She's a vampire. Daylight harms her, of course. But I saw it as him killing her with his white light of God because he is a white male. The sun, our daylight killing our black mother, our black goddess, our queen bitch. And that was just very striking to me. I loved it, <laughs> but also, it also was so angering.
2: Well, like as you said, it's representative of those that white patriarchal means of subjugating what they what they are afraid of and what is unknown or what they consider deviant, right? Because you know, yes. Uh, and when we talk about sexual deviance, we often include lesbianism, savagery, and violence, and like a contaminated touch, which has historically been projected on women of color, especially women of African descent. And this is why yeah. Grace Jones, like one of the things that I did not appreciate about this film but it it holds a whole meaning to it is that she is silent the whole film. Like yes. the only ever uh, sounds yes. we ever yes. hear from Katrina is the sucking and the hissing. And she's so she's yes. a- automatically associated with hypersexuality and violence, and that she's animalistic and that she is a one culture, her culture against the white male protagonist and their culture. And yeah. when they took that speech away from her, they enhanced her monstrosity and yes. made her more eye candy for the audience, which is often what happened to black women in horror films in the 80s. Women are supposed to be looked at, black women were supposed to be looked at, but they weren't supposed to be heard, and I found that to be very problematic because, in a way, that was... In one one method, taking away some of her agency, but then, like you said, at that yeah. very ending scene when she yeah. is killed by that beam of light, and you see, like you know, the, the great effect of her kind of melting away, and, send, and just to see that hand come up and give him the <laughs> fuck you, like the middle finger, like I still love yeah. it because she's still like, yeah. despite the fact that she is silent throughout the film, yeah.
0: she is yeah. still
2: able to raise her voice and say fuck you. Her actions speak louder yes. than words. Yes,
1: and like I said, that's why I'm like. I hate but also like the fact that she doesn't speak because she is so good with her movements and her actions that, yeah, she essentially is like giving the middle finger to what these white suburbanite frat boys represent. Racism, classism, sexism. Love her. Love her. And just briefly, you know, breaking down Queen, Bitch, and Vamp. This movie is called Vamp. It's called vamp for a reason. Vamp. The title of the movie is also a term to describe a woman who uses her charm and wiles to seduce and exploit men. OK, we don't really use these terms anymore, but it is a thing. This is the 80s bitch. Oh, yeah. We know that bitch is it uh, shows contempt for women, particularly black women. It used to be a term of good had good connotations like queen or goddess, but now it's not men are beneath. Uh, sorry, women are beneath men, particularly black women. And then going back to in queen, queen seen with negative connotations, there's it can be seen as a matriarchal type word if you want to think of it positively, but also greed insatiability, And yeah, a lot of things with pretty much boils down to white anxiety. So she's called Queen Bitch. The movie's called Vamp. It's incredible. There's a, so much more to this movie than I even thought was possible when I first started watching it anyways. But it was great. Okay, well, let's move on to Death by Temptation.
3: His destiny had been foretold, its fate had been forewarned. He did not know that something so sweet could be so evil. Now, the fate of mankind hangs in the balance as Kadeem Hardison, TV's Dwayne Wayne.
0: Oh, yeah. This honey I met the night was bad, bad,
3: super bad. And Bill Nunn from Do the Right Thing get busy in the first contemporary horror thriller of its kind. James Bond III's Death by Temptation. She's every man's dream and your worst nightmare. She leaves with men, and you never see them again. <laughs> She drinks that holy water, she's going to start slobbering and farting and
4: gagging. I'm on a mission. Anybody can't train my style. So if you can't get down, stay up the trip for a while. I don't mean to be cruel, No, more. Really we no.
3: the, the beast. Go. Death by Temptation, a new movie from Trauma, With new music by Ashford and Simpson, Melba Moore, Najee, and Freddie Jackson.
1: So what's your story around this movie, Jazz? Uh, first
2: time watch. Ooh. Two first time watches. I don't think that's happened in podcast history. This is uh, two (laughs) first time watches. And I watched these films back to back. So like I said, it was definitely watching this film. A stark contrast to watching Vamp. Yes.
1: Yes, it is. How about yourself? Agreed. This was a first time watch for me as well. Also, this has been a movie that has been on lists. I've heard about it for so long. I blind bought it from Vinegar Syndrome last summer. Again, I'm a fan of vampire movies. And this has been on my radar for so long. I just, for whatever reason, and never checked it out. It's, uh,
2: I think it's now on Shutter. Yes, it is. Yep, that's how I watched yes. it. Yes, okay.
1: Yeah, so it's on Shutter, which is great, and I remember when it first came on there, I thought, okay, perfect, but I ended up just blind buying it anyways, because I just had a feeling that I would really like this movie, and I generally know kind of, like, what I like, so I blind bought it with very positive expectations, and I was right, so
2: <laughs> great. What do you like about Death by Temptation? Okay, yeah, so I loved this film. I liked the story, the music, the aesthetic. The whole vibe of the film, like it felt like that, Mm -hmm. you know, erotica thriller of the '90s, but yet it felt very—I want to say this—like urban. But yeah, I I felt Mm -hmm. black culture coming from it, and so I felt like I'm going to be learning something from this film. The imagery was very striking. Constant these scenes between light and dark, just constantly playing on the ideas of uh, the morals and you know, sexuality and sin. I just. it it just encompassed a lot of things that I really just enjoyed about this film, and I was captivated from the beginning to the end of it. Oh, great. So you loved it. I'm so happy. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) I
1: really, really enjoyed Death by Temptation. I as well enjoyed the story, the music, the lighting, red and green. We got our foggy streets again. They're just like Vamp. There is some like some aesthetics that I I like that were similar. I mean, this came out in 1990s, so it's going to have still a little bit of like some 80s flair to it, but going into having a bit of the 90s environment and eight and the 90s vibes to it. It's bloody, has great practical effects. It is so sexy. That shower scene in the beginning with the blood shower, these beautiful, beautiful people in it. It was a lot. (laughs) It was thirsty. I'm thirsty. Full frontal nudity for black men. Definitely never see that. Like that's not something you see overall, but definitely not at that time. It's break it down. It's really a story about two young black men relating in their separate lifestyles which is amazing. The whole cast is black, mainly an all-black crew. It's incredible. I think this is a very interesting, well-crafted movie, and I'm really glad that I blind bought it, because it is excellent,
2: and I'm gonna say essential horror viewing. I would 100% agree with that, that it is part of to understanding black history, you need to watch black horror, and this would be one of your films that you should throw into your queue to watch. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Is there anything you dislike about it? The only thing I disliked about it, and I, but this also also comes up in a lot of stuff that I read about, is the Punishing of the queer character. That was the only Hmm. thing in the film that I felt uncomfortable watching. But other than that, there was nothing else I disliked. I understand where you're coming from from that. Uh, And no...
1: I don't dislike anything about this movie. It's this really kind of cheeky, moving, exciting, compelling indie film. So, I am here for yeah. it. And
2: put out by Trauma yes. folks. Trauma. <laughs> Who knew? I didn't. I didn't either. Who knew? When I put it when I started it and it's like Trauma. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. This is, has a very different vibe to Trauma movies, and I love Trauma and the absurdity of Trauma created movies. Yeah. So, wow. It was it's
2: great it's so great so before we get into our discussion on Death by temptation we do have a wonderful clip from danny bethea to share with you guys all before we start danny bethea uh, pronouns she they them is a non-binary gray asexual writer weightlifter and gardener from north carolina they are the former editor-in-chief of we are horror magazine you can find them across an expansive podcast medium publications Speak, gaily dreadful uppercut crick and more they have been a featured guest at Salem Horror Fest, the University of Pittsburgh's Summoning Candyman, host of Fright Gowns Bit and the Future of Trans Representation, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, Canada's Witch Institute, Rachel True, in conversation with Danny Bethea, and the, the Axe Wound Film Festival, dissecting the genre with intention in 2021. They will be a featured cast member in the upcoming Mental Health and Horror, a documentary in 2022, and you can find them on Twitter at Where the Horror Resides at Danny Bethea,
4: Greetings and salutations, everyone. My name is Danny Buffet, horror and pop culture writer across the internet. I sincerely thank Spensters of Horror for having me on this special episode of the podcast. I'm a huge fan of their work and everything that they do over there in the podcasting horror space of the interwebs. They were so kind to reach out to me about my thoughts about two very significant and horrific films. The first is 1986's Vamp, This film is kind of come and gone in the pop cultural consciousness, but one thing that remains indelible is the magnanimous and pulchritudinous image of the one and only Grace Jones. The reason why this film, in my opinion, seems to have come and gone is the budget was very small, the box office was very small, and it got swallowed up into so many other great films that came out in the 1980s. One of the reasons why it's important to remember this film and the trajectory of where horror was going at the time and where it still has yet to go is the fact that Grace Jones is an actor, a musician, and an icon that, was, that has rarely, if ever, been understood. That includes a lot of the roles that they cast her in in the 1980s and early 90s, always uh, with a sexual component, always with a somewhat predatory component, a mysterious or even otherworldly essence of beauty and mystique. I think this film deserves a rewatch. Um, primarily for Grace Jones as well so that, you know, obviously we can give her all of her flowers. But I think it's also important to watch in the ways that Grace Jones and even other black women were pigeonholed into certain types, quote unquote, in Hollywood and especially in the horror space. It's an example of the succubus as we know it in writing and horror circles. It's another example of Of the black woman as monster that pops up every now and again in horror film, where the black individual, especially black woman in this case, does not have a lot of agency or particular interiority. They're just more there for the monstrosity of their very being. So I believe that Vamp is most certainly deserving of a rewatch. Speaking of Succubi, I think this is a great time to pivot into talking about James Bond III's Death by Temptation, which, ironically enough, came out the year I was born in 1990. James Bond III, no relation to James Bond, the film series, or Ian Fleming's iconic character. This film is one that has definitely received more and more iconic status, I would say, iconic slash legendary status as the years have gone by. It was one, again, like Vamp, that sadly fell under the radar. It's certainly a film that is heavy on the themes, the religious component, the fallen woman component, the succubi, the demon. There's a lot going on in this film that I would hate to spoil for you, but I will most certainly spoil this fact. (laughs) It has phenomenal, phenomenal, I will say, special effects. The story is quite solid. I think in the years since its release, obviously, it's been another critique akin to Vamp about the ways that black women could show up in horror, frequently and relatively, as the monstrous woman, regularly with no interiority and just primarily there for the monstrosity. And it's very interesting to see this counterbalance of a movie styled like Vamp and its critique of black women in the horror genre and Vamp being its opposite. So. Without further ado, I hope I didn't spoil this film in any way. I hope I didn't. I hope only that I titillated and potentially whet your appetite. I so sincerely thank the people at Spinsters of Horror for asking me to do this uh, miniature retrospective and reflective on the films. I'm so delighted that they had me on, and I hope that you can check out more of my work on Twitter at the Danny Buffet, where the horror resides. Thank you so much, and I hope you all have a great listening experience at Spinsters of Horror.
2: Thank you so much, Danny, for your insightful blurb. Excellent. So getting into Death by Temptation. And so, like I said, this film is very representative of, well, actually, when you think of Black history and Black horror, when you look at the 90s, what kicked off a lot of the changes in the 90s was this film, Death by Temptation. We did see Black horror come back in the 90s and they call, I love it in horror noir where they call it like Black is back. It was like this huge resurgence of not only the, um, black actors in various films but also black cinema. We're seeing because the invention of home video we are able to get more independently produced films such as Death by Temptation and and black creators are able to get out there and get their voices and speak more. And so when you look at Black horror and black um, history, we get to see uh, themes being addressed such as racism, um, interracial conflict. We get to see more films showing black lives and films showing focusing on families and culture, particularly outside of the hood as well as inside. And you see, like in a film like Death by Temptation, we see a crisis of faith. We see black characters dealing with a morality tale, much like the films from the 1940s. Yeah, Death by Temptation was
1: released. And was a part of a growing renaissance of Black American filmmaking, inspired by the growing popularity of rap music and hip hop culture, which you can definitely see in this movie. Music that is not my cup of tea, but I love how it just informs. It fits the film so the much. movie. It fits perfectly. It is a, this. Definitely, Temptation is a whole experience. And as white people, you know, watching this movie, I I felt like I was experiencing what these people were experiencing, and I was getting a glimpse into something that again it's not my experience so it is educational but it's also very entertaining very enlightening and there were so many black themed films being released in theaters and it really hadn't been happening since the 1970s so this was incredible to see these things And essentially, and this was a great little tidbit when I was reading today, Black directed horror films with all Black casts predate World War II. So it's been so long since we've seen something like this when Death by Temptation came out. So this is a truly, truly unique film. It also contains none of those common tropes that you started seeing with like uh, Menace to Society, Boys in the Hood, a lot of those movies that I grew up, I did see them, grew up with and around associated with those, quote, Hood movies, the blighted city landscapes, narcotic trafficking and hyper stylized gang violence that there's none of that in this. We've got some nuanced characters, let's say I'll use nuanced, but there's just very different. It focuses on the story and the relationship between Joel and Kay, their cousins. There's a hip hop jargon and kind of slang that they use. Like I said, there's a lot of blood, sex, full frontal male nudity, also about Christian fundamentalism, the battle between good and evil. There is a lot Happening in this movie. And yeah, Jess, you mentioned this, but it's kind of like this modern take or this modern tale of what's called the uplift narrative that we saw through the 1910s, to the 1940s, which was something that I again knew nothing about so this was an educational experience for me but this concept of racial uplift this is the the ideology of racial uplift was the idea that educated black people were responsible for the welfare of the majority of their race and was a response to the assault on African-American civil and political rights in the late 19th and early 20th centuries they put forth an ideology of self-help and service and so that was what we were seeing in
2: films of those days and now we're kind of seeing it again in this movie. Well, it's like Death by Temptation is that return to the religious dramas that Spencer Williams was known for, especially with the film Blood of Jesus from 1941. It's focusing on the crisis of faith and those crossroads that people find themselves in when religious doctrine and free will come into play. And like yeah, Especially but, in the 1990s, because there is all kinds of things that are happening in the world. We're dealing with Reagan, we're dealing with the impact of Reaganomics on black communities and you know yeah. urban families and urban welfare. But then we're also dealing with the AIDS crisis, which is a, a ve- which was a very very present danger and was very active in black urban men and women, African American community, and so. Okay, okay, what you saw today, young brother, were victims of economics, environment.
0: Reaganomics. Uh, okay, now I say that to say that the small town we come from and the people there, they are a reality. But no more so than the knuckleheads and the people that you bumped into walking down the streets in New York. You can't be sheltered from the truth of our life and then go out and do your ministry gig, right? Hey. You got to climb up and see over both sides of that fence. You dig know what I'm saying? Yeah,
1: but
4: what you're saying then is that essentially it's uh, essentially it's unfair to relate from a glass house perspective
2: yes so yeah so death penetration helped to inform us of a public health crisis that was occurring in the 90s, such as AIDS and, you know, urban ills, family dissolution, sexual repression, the loss of religious faith rather than, you know, a codified social policy that disproportionately affects women, the poor communities of color and homosexual and transsexual populations. This film has a lot going on in it. It's not just like, even when you look back at its main theme, was like, it's about a crisis of faith. I'm like, oh, it is about a lot of other things as well, too. Yeah, it's essentially
1: like it's a horror movie, but like you said, it's essentially
2: a black religious drama yeah like you said like it's horror
1: but it's drama it's a horror drama it's uh yeah which was very just uh, surprising to me again I was taken aback by the the complexities of this movie and just yeah just going back to there's a lot of history in this too which again I again didn't know this because I wouldn't and not my experience so it was great and this again this idea of this racial uplift so the uh, the concept of racial uplift was it's deeply complicated so we again I have found a really great resource that we can put into the our Spencer's library and the show notes for it, but the concept of racial uplift in *Death by Temptation* is as troublesome and kind of problematic as it did for our historical context, essentially. So, African American leaders during this, like 19th, 20th century, during these times were trying to combat stereotypes but then they're emphasizing class differences amongst black people yeah. so they were essentially bringing back gender hierarchy class distinctions homosexuality as being problematic religious exclusionism you know though those types of things so it uh, and we're, we do see this in death by temptation so i mean it's not i hate saying this and i'm not to i shouldn't say it but it's not a perfect movie i hate saying yeah. that <laughs> (laughs) But there are aspects of it that are rooted in some just old ideas, let's say, because there's definitely some gender politics happening in this movie some some classes and there's definitely some homosexuality issues like you said you were really upset by the extra disturbing kind of lengthy scene of the one coded not even coded he legitimately is gay yeah
2: Yeah. I remember my notes when I first saw him and I knew he was queer I'm like yes we have a queer black man in this and then what that scene comes up I was like Oh yeah, I did
1: not like that. Yes, yes. So it's it's got some got some issues. It's very conservative, but Christian fundamentalism is very conservative, and
2: that's our Joel character. And, but it shows us like an interesting yeah. dichotomy because you get our yeah. K character. He represents that liberated North, right? That he's yes. you know moved yes. to the city and he is engaging. Big city. Yeah, he's an actor and he's engaging in immoral behaviors, and then now of a sudden he's being visited by Joel, who is his th- southern yes. moralistic friend. Yeah. He's the up-and-coming yeah. preacher who's been raised by his grandmother after the tragic fo- death of his father, who is also a yes. preacher, right? Yeah. So... It yes. shows that relationship that that would happen between um, black communities that were separated by this, you know, north and south kind of concept, these kind of uh, ways of life, you know, and changing, you know, when you when you leave, like, you know, when you move to an urban city and how different you are from back home, your your town folk. Yeah, we challenge everybody's everybody's morals and
1: viewpoints get challenged in this. Yes. Agreed. So in this This movie comes out on a lot of like top vampire movie lists. So it's, I mean, she's like a, we'll get into temptation in a minute, but like she's a, she's a succubus, but also kind of vampiric. There is like a little blending of folklore in this movie. But like we mentioned earlier, black vampires don't really exist that much in, in cinema, in film, in TV, in popular culture, at least, because this is definitely not like a big Hollywood mainstream movie by any by any means so looking at this and with our research is perhaps by racializing the vampire what we're seeing is a reestablishment reestablishment of the horror film okay with feature like it's functioning kind of as a cautionary tale and some horror movies definitely from the 80s kind of have that conservative like the slashers like oh well don't don't leave the babysitter home alone or don't go into the woods alone all of those things so they're cautionary tales so Joel is at a crossroads in his life do you give into temptation and fail as a black man, who is forever in the shadow of Samuel L. Jackson, side note, Samuel L. Jackson is in this movie as a small role, and his pastor father, or give into Temptation, who is our demoness, our femme noir, our devil bitch of Death by Temptation. Bitch,
3: what the hell's wrong with you? I mean, how am I supposed to explain this to my
4: wife? Norman?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I know who you are. Those marks are nothing compared to what you're gonna get later. Honey, I've given you something there's no cure for. (laughs) It's gonna grow and grow until it consumes you.
2: with Temptation. This film explores how elements of the horror genre, once again, address black female sexuality as embodied in Temptation. She is a succubus-like African-American woman who, which several young black men desire but at the same time to want destroy her which is the same yes. which we saw earlier when we watched vamp they yes. these you know then yep. we had these white men desiring a black woman which is not supposed to be okay and they want to destroy yep. her because she is seen as other and then we get back into death temptation we bring it to you know once again back to that conservative narrative of well here is this professional woman of the 90s who is going to bars by herself and she's unaccompanied by yep. a man she's already yep. breaking patriarchal moral codes so she Dangerous. So, thus, you can't be (laughs) with her because she will either destroy you so you got to destroy her. Yeah, she is our literal man-eater
1: and one of my likes was Temptation. Cynthia Bond is excellent. She is so cool and interesting and just a presence. Just like uh, Grace Jones is Cat- Catrida and Vamp, <gasps> Yes, they're both a presence. Yes. But just, again, Vamp, done by white people. Death by Temptation, done by black people. And they just, we can see their treatment of their characters. The differences in oh. that. The differences and treating the treatment of their characters, the treatment of their women and how they approached all of these things is very, very different. Temptation has a voice, this sweet, this sweet voice, but she demands attention. She's sexually assertive. But what I really loved about this is that she not only lures men into her web and into her bedroom, but she also has sex with them. That is almost never seen. Like we very rarely seen our monstrous women actually having sex. We They lure the men in, but then they kill them. Mm-hmm. They don't get any sexual gratification from it, per se. But I love that she actually has this sexual appetite. She actually has sex with these men. But then she kills them afterwards. Maybe not always directly afterwards, but she does. And I love that. She's a real woman. Like you, when you watch, when you watch Temptation, (laughs) like the whole time you don't
2: learn her name until like maybe 40 minutes into the film. She's always to as the lady or the woman in black or that woman at the end of the bar. Like she reminds me of, A real strong, confident woman who knows what she wants and is not going to, you know, fuck around with anyone but at the same yeah. time too, she is punishing people for their moralistic failings, right? We get the one guy who's telling his girlfriend get an abortion and then I'll, and then goes to have a bunch of other women, the one guy cheating on his wife. Like, like at, at points in that film, I didn't think she was actually a monster until the very end where she does transform. There's a quote in this movie, blessed be the man who avoids temptation. Multiple layers
1: here. <laughs> temptation with a capital T or a lowercase t. So the conservatism and Death by Temptation. There's gendered and sexualized identities, But she is definitely demonized. Her act of sexuality is demonized. She's definitely, like you said, breaking a lot of patriarchal moral codes. She is a, like a black widow. She kills men. This was a really great quote too, uh, from the research. She maintains a goddess-like lair where men are seduced,
2: bedded, and then bled. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Her bedroom (laughs) is a site of both the moral and the spiritual where that battle is commencing, you know, flesh versus the spirit at the end of the day. Like, even yes. after she has at the end of the movie, yeah, that that, that yep. was like a giant scene. But like, even that was happening yeah. every time she took a man to bed with her. That battle was happening yeah. between the flesh and the spirit, and you can always tell who had the weaker spirit yeah. at the end of the day. And she's able to enact her punishment on these on these individuals. And what I really found interesting is that she is like this vampire succubus demon who ultimately wants to corrupt the most innocent soul as she could. That like that is her ultimate victory. And it reminds me of when like. People or mothers would tell their sons like, "Stay away from that woman. She is a devil woman, or she's going to corrupt oh, you, yeah. and she's going to corrupt your soul." Oh, and yeah. you're like, and yep. and you, they make it seem like that is what she's out to do. Like that, uh, that a woman who is professional and confident in herself, and is confident in her sexuality and who she is as a woman, yep. she is seen as a threat because she will corrupt you, and no, and you are no longer innocent. Especially, and is very present in this film because I just want to like, as in oppos in this in opposition to Temptation, we get Joel's grandmother, who is mm, the yes. one who arrives to save Joel from Temptation's grass, and she's representative of that moralism in Black Woman, you know, yeah. that concern, that concern about the Black community and keeping it is salvation as a whole right because at the end of the day a lot of black men and women rely upon their black mothers and their grandmothers to help look after them and their own children so the black mother in this film is also revered because she is seen as this opposing force against this bad seed that is going to corrupt her you know her young her her young pastor or grandson
1: and in the end it is the power of faith through joel that destroys temptation
2: i really liked how um this one quote that the washington post said about this film as it came out that death by Temptation" possesses an emotional. Death and detail that, in generally is absent from such films. And like you said earlier, it avoids all the stereotypes that we see in, in white films about black people and black communities. It feels real. It feels like a film that you can. I want to. Like I'm going to say this earlier is tangible. Like you can touch it and you can understand it and, and yeah. you know yeah. sympathize with these characters because they they represent something that is real and tangible and can be and felt by everyone at the end of the day. And this is something that Jess and
1: I briefly talked about outside of the podcast but watching these movies especially this one because it comes up in it and I was also I also rewatched Get Out I watched Us for the first time this month Rewatched Night of the Living Dead like trying to go through some trying to hit some new movies besides these two movies which I would say are brand new to me Kay tells Joel about temptation he knows that something isn't right with her he's trying to protect him but Joel won't listen also Dougie their friend the, the actual investigator that's at the bar all the time hitting on women but he's there because he's investigating temptation they both think there's something not right with her, and what came to mind, and what Justin and I talked about was this build, this intuition that marginalized people yes. have—women, uh, LGBTQ folks, uh, people of color, anybody that's marginalized or oppressed—we have this intuition to help avoid unsafe spaces. We un- we can recognize places that may or people they may harm us. And I believe that white, white gendered. men do not have this intuition. And you know, there's always those jokes about like white people moving into haunted houses all the time. Ugh. Whereas black people be like, hell no, I am not moving into this house. Like they're gonna stay away from the supernatural. That's a whole other topic of how people of color approach the supernatural. They don't mess with that stuff, but we as white people do, you know? And so we have these men of color understanding that tempt- there's something wrong with temptation. I think Dougie is the one that says she has creepy eyes. Like there's something about her that isn't right. Their intuition is telling them that Joel is in danger. Do not hang out with, be with this woman. There's something dangerous or something bad is going to happen to you. And pe- marginalized folks have this intuition. And it's just really something that resonated with me this month that I really recognize. And me as a woman, like just sometimes, yeah, situations that I might not purposely put myself in, but like, for example, it wasn't late evening, but maybe eight or nine o'clock. And I was leaving an exit of a subway. That's not the main exit, but a windy side exit to get to a different street. And I was halfway through and then started hearing a lot of male voices. Mm -hmm. And I immediately got spooked and got my guard up my back up and like a lump in my throat I was like well I do I just turn back now and I was like I'm sure this is going to be fine like it's but that and that intuition kicks in I was like mm, this might potentially be an unsafe scenario if I'm going to try to walk through these people in this very isolated portion of the subway but if a white guy was walking through there he would think zero thoughts yeah. about walking through there because he has really nothing to be
2: afraid of right and you see that and this is very represented in the two films and like I said when I walk- watch these two films back to back yes when you watch vamp you know aj and keith show up at the strip club like i remember like watching be like oh no red flag i would not go to the strip club it's clearly an area that i would not you know you wouldn't want to belong into and but they act when they walk in they act like they own the place and then they get all upset when terrible things start happening to them. like why is this and keith at one point is like why is this happening to me and it's like because you thought you could be here Like, you thought it was... You weren't even... And you wouldn't listen to people warning you to leave. Like, to go. Like, to get out, right? Or watching the signs where, like like you said, in Death by Temptation, K, especially after he gets blown off by temptation, and he's like, wait, I'm confused. I was all... Like, you and I were all interested in each other. Now, all of a sudden, you don't have any interest in me. Like, you're acting like you don't even know me anymore? This is weird, right? And like you said, that that awareness of the places that you're in and the insightfulness and being able to listen to your intuition to let you know that, hey, maybe things aren't right about this individual. Maybe this place isn't a great place for you to be at this time of night because, unfortunately, and we see it in cinema, there has been a history of racial oppression and white acts of hate towards um, black communities, which is often perpetrated by cis white men. Yeah, so should we move into Spencer's Final Thoughts?
1: Do that. And now we've arrived at Spencer's Final thoughts, this time over a nice warm cup of tea provided by our sponsor, Brutalities. Since we're spinsters, we obviously love tea. One of our favorite things is to curl up with a movie on a cold, rainy day. Or with a good book. Absolutely. With a mug of delicious hot tea. Brutalities is a company
2: that we discovered at a horror convention and fell in love with. They have a variety of tea blends from black, white, and more, but what stood out to us was not just how yummy they were, but their spooky and metal-inspired names. With Screamsicle and Children of the Candy Corn, we thought Brutalities were a perfect
1: match made in... I am obsessed with tiramisu. And I'm currently obsessed with Banana Bell. So go to Brutalities.com to grab some for yourself with listener code SPINSTER15 to get 15% off your purchase. For our Canadian fans, please contact them directly before ordering for shipping quotes.
2: So now that we have our tea, let's put these spirits to rest. Horror films will always be a source of not only entertainment, but also education. When black horror author Reeve says black history is black horror, it is true. In the past month, spending time educating myself through the history of black horror, I gained more insight into the areas of black history that I had been ignorant of. I have come to understand the damage that came from the various black character tropes that came from the history of violence and lack of acknowledgement. I learned the difference between blacks in horror and black horror and how it's important to distinguish in the horror genre because it acknowledges the existence of racism documented in cinema. Vamp is a film that is representative of Blacks and horror. While it's great to see a Black female vampire, she is also played to a drope of a dangerous exotic creature out to destroy white masculinity. It is fantastical and harmful, whereas Death by Temptation is representative of Black horror. It feels real and tangible because we are met with complex characters in Temptation, Joel and Kay, who represent human struggles of lust, love, morality, and survival. Watching these films literally back to back really showed me the stark comparison and the importance of knowing the difference. Black horror rose as a reaction to the racist and dehumanizing representation of black people. It fought against stereotypes and stole stories about people who were living their lives and also had the same fears and struggles. So please, educate yourself on the differences in the history of Black horror. Support Black artists, musicians, writers, podcasters, and content creators. Share their work and others and have conversations. We only end hate and stereotypes through educating yourselves and listening to the Black community tell their stories.
1: Black lives matter now and forever. I speak for both Jessica and I when I say that we do firmly believe this, whether it's February and Black History Month or not. And it is February. This is Black History Month. And each month we celebrate different aspects of horror. Japanese horror, women in horror, alien abduction in horror, pride. All cultures, all people deserve their time to shine, which is why we format spaces of horror work that we do. This is why we do this. Each month we put a spotlight on a subgenre, a genre, a creator, whichever, because everybody deserves that moment to shine. Vampires. We love Vampires. And I think that, you know, there's reasons why just as a collective consciousness have this cultural fascination with vampires like Temptation, like our Katrina, and it's complex. It's multi-layered and it's complex, but it, they do embody this kind of binary contradiction. Young and old, mortal, immortal, dead, undead, masculine, feminine, hetero, or homosexual, norm, other, predator, prey, victim, villain. Our identities are always brought into question, something a lot of people struggle with, and something that is a continuous struggle for our LGBTQ community, which is even happening right now in Texas. And same with our vampires. Their identities and how they continuously have a place in horror is something we will always return to. They are other and ripe for allegory. The femme noir. I often relate to or see myself in these monstrous women because aspects of them, the ones culturally we have made into negative attributes, are something to be celebrated, not villainized. These are aspects of our humanity that have been demonized and stigmatized. The monster in them is the monster in me. And when we see, I will echo Jess's sentiments here, in the opening segment of the excellent documentary, Horror Noir, Black History is Black Horror. And I wholeheartedly agree with that statement.
2: And that ends our episode on the film's Vamp and Death by Temptation for Black History Month. We want to thank Dance with the Dead for our intro and outro music robies and to all you listeners. And we want to remind you to follow us on our website, spinstersofhorror.com. All of our social media, just search for Spinsters of Horror. And we also have a Facebook group called the Spinsters of Horror Coven. We now have a Letterboxd account, so come follow us on there, Horror Spinsters.
1: Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spinsters of Horror. We do record our mini and any special presentations we have and upload them there. So you'd rather watch than just listen to us do so. As well, please rate, review, and subscribe on any podcasting app that you use. We also have merch, so please visit TeePublic to purchase our t-shirts or mugs or tank tops or hoodies, whatever you would like, from our shop. In March, we are celebrating Women in Horror Month, and now that she has released a second full-length feature, we are also celebrating the wonderful work of Julia Ducorneau with discussions on Ra and *Titan*. Woo! Yes, I'm so excited.
2: <laughs> but until then, remember... The future of fear is female.